Welcome to Codex West. Welcome to the Codex West podcast, or should I say Codex West at, at night? night. Uh, it's <laughs> the time, and we're podcasting. <laughs> um, Mark is not going to be with us today. Uh, this is just going to be Johnny and I riffing. We just saw uh, three billboards over Ebbing, Missouri, which was fucking amazing. Um, and we're going to talk about that and then probably just spiral off. Into yeah, nothing. it really, we're just, we're um, here to talk because we like to talk and that's what we're going to do. It's, yeah, mostly we just, we just want like a podcast. We just want to drink whiskey and podcast. It's at night. The rules are off. Cheers. Cheers. Can I clink my? Wait, I want to try and clink. Let me try and clink. Very. Ooh, nah, I think yours was probably better than mine because I was clinking off of <laughs> my clinking. michelada. <laughs> clinking <Anyways>. off <laughs> all night. But <laughs> yeah, I was clinking I was off, clinking. homie. Well. So um, we are going to go into this. Johnny is going to read. Uh, so to give you guys some a little bit of background, Johnny actually saw this movie in Venice like months ago, and he hyped it up a lot. I think he actually talked about it on the podcast a little bit. Um, and I've been really excited to see it since then, uh, and it just finally got a release in American theaters. Yeah, so it was like I think it like it, it obviously would have like it had a limited release in L.A., New York, like maybe a week ago. But it, this, I think it's one of the yeah. first days we could see it in Utah because. I, I just don't get Utah. Here. It's like, all right, so Sundance happens in Park City, right? So you would imagine there would be some sort of like, literally twenty yeah, minutes away from us. Yeah, like in Park City, there are just no theaters. Like you can't even watch like a normal movie. Yeah, it's just a bunch of shitty art galleries. And Pretty much, like there's a four theater cinema, and that's it. And they like play just like all the blockbustery shit. Um, so yeah. it's very surprising. I don't, yeah, I don't understand it. Robert Redford chose a very weird place to have Sundance, but it's... you know we don't criticize <laughs> our God. <laughs> you don't criticize <laughs> ours, but yeah, um, yeah. So I saw this already a couple months ago in Venice. Loved it. So I'm gonna read my review because I haven't read it since I wrote it. And and I yeah, think... no, please do. I mean, I think it's I think it holds up. I love so, that. Review, and so. I think what's like I remember ending the review with like saying that I really wanted to rewatch it again. And I'm just curious what my first insights were and if they've been revised oh, yeah. in any way. I'm not sure, though. I don't know. So I'm oh, just going for then, yeah. it. But anyway, so I'm going to read it. And then I also just want to see what Jacob, you know, thinks about some of the points. But, okay, so it starts off. It's hard to talk about Martin McDonough without talking Tarantino. Yes, they share stylistic proclivities, but more importantly, when you chart the thematic trajectories of their filmography, you can see that they both arc in parallel. As directors, their film careers both begin with celebrations of violence that are merely genre-bending. Reservoir Dogs is a deconstruction of the heist flick, and in Bruges recasting Hitman Fair as philosophical slapstick. But the middle films are characterized by a fascination with all the ways in which violence is a cinematic construct. Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill express this in their mixtape compositions, borrowing from all of film history to create a stylistic collage of violence and vengeance. Seven Psychopaths accomplishes this effect by other means. McDonough examines street screen violence metacinematically, casting a screenwriter struggling on his thriller film into an actual, actual thriller scenario. 
populated with the psychopathic characters he is reaching to write about. By satirizing the feckless obsession writers have with violence, McDonough is making a damning claim about the cinematic nature of violence itself. That as a device, it is too easy to employ, and often employed by writers too feeble and unfamiliar with its real-world realities. In other words, screen violence is petty. It's cheap. It's not violence at all. The current era is the most useful. Now, both directors have outgrown their cinematic parameters. Their interests lie in the greater philosophy of violence. What are the ethics of violence? How does violence present itself in the deepest parts of our social and political systems? This is the framework I found most useful in approaching The Hateful Eight. The film's central concern is the possibility of frontier justice. A correct conception of justice requires that it be ethical. And for any conception to be ethical, it must be possible to generalize and systematize it. It has to be lawful. But frontier justice necessarily works outside of the law. After all, that's what makes it frontier justice. Tarantino spends the hatefully allegorizing this contradiction, that the ethics of justice are distinct from the feeling of justice served. If violence is the means to frontier justice, then it's unlikely to ever be the means for an ethical end. And so arrives Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, a similar stargazing stroll of a film whose questions are large and pleased to be rhetorical. Again, violence and justice are at the forefront, but now we have left the frontier with only its notions of lawfulness and have entered into the messy backcountry of actual law enforcement. Frances McDormand plays Mildred Hayes, a mother whose daughter's horrific murder case has gone unsolved by the Ebbing Police Department. The law has failed her. Under the belief that the department's chief, played by Woody Harrelson, isn't pursuing the case in good faith anymore, she puts up three billboards on a lonely road that read, Raped while dying and still no arrest? How come, Chief Willoughby? The provocation works, not to solve her daughter's death, of course, but to incite pandemonium among the small towners, fashioning a war of perception between Hayes and the law, with the sympathetic and the conservative taking their respective sides. Naturally, this war is essentially a stunt. We learn early on that it's not Willoughby—it's not that Willoughby is uncaring. It's that the trail is simply cold, as the DNA evidence hasn't matched up to any known criminal, and considering the size of the town, the perpetrator was most likely a drifter. Hayes understands this, and in a scene where push comes to shove, she drops the combative act to care for Willoughby. But the fact is that Hayes has been wronged, and that her anger needs an outlet. When her recourse to the law produces no satisfaction, she appeals to the public. As she tells her ex-husband, all the books say keeping a case in the public consciousness improves the chances of it being solved. But this only worsens her woes. The town's moral leaders denounce her, men accost her in public, and an arsonist sets her billboards in flames. Out of options, it follows that the only expression she has left is violence. As you might suspect, the violence in this film accomplishes nothing of value. Certainly, there are moments when we believe violence will accomplish something. A scene comes to mind where Sam Rockwell's character performs an act so ingenious and untypically brave that we are forced to believe it will deliver closure. But no, this is a story about the futility of vigilantism, and thus a charge on the grand meta-narratives we tell ourselves to justify violent thinking. And this critique is not narrowly cinematic. By setting the drama in a world of racial tension, police brutality, and gender-based assault, McDonough is making a timely point about how our fantasies of violence, when left unexamined, transform into predictable societal modes of operation. This is territory that is also masterfully covered in Joshua Oppenheimer's The Act of Killing. I think in this, like, McDonough is already reckoning with his cinematic legacy. His work is so deftly comic that it's easy just to take the light and the thrill of the kills, 
It's not that I think his brand of wicked glee troubles him. I just suspect he's searching for a deeper experience, and he'll continue to make innovative films that explore these themes in even more provocative ways. But to be fair, this film is a quartz-rich gold mine, and I've really only explored one of its many veins. I could write as many words about McDormand's performance. This film frankly needs her to work, and the feminism she brings to bat here is callous, willy, and offensively modern, the fullest expression of the half-made tomboys that typify recent blockbuster fare. But in order that I could do her justice, I'd have to see the film again. And I want to. I really, really want to. As my time as the festival nears its end, Three Billboards is the only film I can honestly say that's true of. So, yeah, I would say that there's a lot more you could... Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it's interesting because on the second watch, like, I under... So I think I probably came into the movie with an expectation that I wanted to... Comp- I already knew I probably wanted to compare it to Tarantino, which is already, like, a kind of, like... Like, it, is, is that, like, ethical in terms of, like, you know, critical analysis that you already come in with things that you want to say? I don't know. I didn't see it as much on the second time, but I think that's because I didn't have it's, the kind of expectations. I don't know. What do you think? I think that, like, your, your film history knowledge is, like... Um, it, it might be flavoring your perception in a way that it doesn't mind, because I didn't... Um, and like a lot of the shot construction, there were there were scenes where she when she was walking between the billboards, especially like towards the middle of the movie, that I thought were like more. It sounds weird to say in a movie that's like strictly about like expressions of violence and anger, but it felt like Andersonian. Um. Um. The the way that the um, a the way that the shots were framed and tracked, but also the music that they were set to. Uh, I don't. I. It's not like a. Um, there's no like thematic parallel to be drawn there, but like uh, in terms of aesthetics, it didn't strike me as like a very Tarantino film. I actually got movie. like um, I think the lighting and the like the the country atmosphere at, reminds me of um, Django Unchained. Like the lighting is like a little like it it it. It's funny because this film was not shot at a studio, but it has like a sound stagey quality to it. And it's a sure, very yeah. a lot of close shots. Like the cinematography, like like on the face of it, is not impressive to me in the way that it wasn't with the Hateful Eight. But it's like it, I think sure. these, I, you know, these directors have made other movies. Like um, I was thinking, In Bruges felt very much like a like um, a European like contemporary French film and its cinematography and its like naturalism. And a hundred percent, yeah. I think that that movie, that movie was like much more concerned. With well, well, I, I think too. in a, in, in a, a way, in a but way. I was gonna say Seven Psychopaths also has like a very like there's something very L.A. about it, or it's like you know if okay, yeah, so Seven, Seven Psychopaths, Psychopaths almost has like an entourage type of cinematography. Yeah, it's <laughs> oh, really? it's super, but it's also completely way more constructed. Obviously, I think Seven Psychopaths is probably I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to toss up. I mean, this movie definitely felt very southern. Yeah. I think that just speaks to McDonough's like grasp of like uh, geographical aesthetics. There's that. There's sense. like um, uh, the diction um, mm-hmm. is that oh doesn't God, happen the, is the in the other. I, I, like I've never read one of his plays or seen one of his movies that actually employed that diction before, but it feels like like a uh, trademarky. You know, it feels like it's already like part of his brand, even though like if you were to look at yeah. his brand, oh, yeah. it's I not mean, there. He, he, he just like completely demonstrated immediate mastery of it. Like it's, it's all very yeah. Believable. Like there, 
It's like it's like a it's a quintessentially yeah, southern that's, movie. It's like exactly, it, and there's like references in the movie itself that are already like make it like you know the South has changed. That's something that Sam Rockwell says, and I think the films about the South are changing too. And this is like a film supposed to be like you know it's supposed to blaze a new way of thinking about, um, you know, like you know I read a lot about. Um, this year about the failed attempts at reconstruction there was a lot to do in the atlantic i read a book about it and you can kind of see like that there's a there's a cinematic store there's a cinematic like topic that hasn't been addressed yet or like there's a topic that hasn't been addressed mm-hmm. by cinema where it's just like the reckoning of the failures of reconstruction um and yeah the way that like we you know justice is impossible in like a lot of these cases when it comes to racial dimensions because the people that enacted them are long gone and now all we have are traditions. Yeah. And this film specifically is like about like when what happens when you have to something my review mentioned, when you have to like you have this concept you have this impulse for justice, but there's just but what the the idea of justice that you've been sold on your whole life is impossible. But you still need it to right. you still need to enact it in some capacity. Um I think all these things are related. Um, it, it makes sense that this film takes place in the South, not just to like be like narrowly about like racism, but to like say something about, um, I mean, um, yeah, it's like an ethical framework that's so very like Southern that it would be very difficult to imagine this movie happening in any, any place. Right. Like imagine in my mind, like something that just came to my mind is, um, 12 years a slave, right? Like there was a sense, Mm -hmm. something I've always said about that movie. It was like a critique of beauty because it wanted to take, it, it wanted to explore the beauty of the South but then say show how like yeah, you know this totally. was like I remember when you first saw the movie I was showing you like side by side shots of like you know what um was happening in 12 years of slave and then I would put it against like a shot of gone with the wind and how it was like they, it yeah, was like yeah, yeah. but like the the context of the shots in 12 years of slave were savage like fast the yeah the moral ugliness yeah. of it is like contra- contrasted perfectly against the I mean a plantation is not it's not yeah place. and in the way like, it's it the beauty that was it's just ethically it's ethically horrific, horrific and it, it brings into question the ethics of beauty and cinematic beauty specifically. Mm-hmm. I think this film does this too, um, in its way. Not necessarily like I don't think it has anywhere near the cinemagraphic kind of beauty that Twelve Years a Slave has because that's just like on another level. And it and there's a, uh-huh. I mean sometimes you're not going to be able to achieve that in a film that you know like McDonough he wants to make like funny entertaining movies. They're just also like they're severe and sincere but yeah and bruges and bruges like a it's one of my favorite movies for that oh it's just hilarious reason. it's it, it has like it's like a philosophical like play thing it, it's just so um it's like cocksure it's cocksure it's, yeah like directness I'd say this movie but is it's like... not it doesn't like try to be overtly philosophical and this movie is very it's similar in the sense that like of course it's of course it's like a like a it, it asks a lot of really troubling questions, but yeah, it's just fun to watch too. And I think, you know, that's always going to be, I think with someone who has the, this, um, the playwriting abilities as McDonough, um, and a sense with the actor, like he knows how to, di- he apparently, I think like his, the, the direction of the actors themselves, I don't know if he's like letting them perform or like, you know, guiding them in any way, but like the act, the acting yeah. itself, like is unusual. <laughs> In all of his movies. For sure, um, yeah. I think that only comes if you're willing to, you know... The the bravery that it takes to be unusual is not 
fake. Like it's it's a real kind of braver because you have a no, lot of money on the all, line. Yeah. Like you have a lot of people expecting, you know. Is there... I don't expect this movie to be like a great commercial success. It, yeah, it's... which is I mean I don't know. He's got in Bruges like kind of. It, that became like a cult classic in its own right. This might be like a Netflix hit or something, but I don't think this is going to break any box office records. Nah, it, it's not. So. I, I'm, I'm more like, that's not where I was going with that. It's more like, even in terms of like this, I guess what I want to say is like, yes, it won't break any... The bravery is not in it. Yeah, right, obviously, right. like money's it would be nice. Yeah. I'm not saying he's like making this movie to be commercially successful or that's his intention. No. Like that. So obviously it's not going to be a blockbuster hit. That's not exactly where I was going with that. Although yes, it's like when you have money, sure. like you want, you know, you want. Your, I don't think it's going to be unsuccessful. That's no, no, no. It'll, it's going to run. Black, I'm sure it's going to run. Uh, Francis McDormand an Oscar nomination, no doubt. Um, oh my god, she's, she's so. so good. I want to get back to that, but the, I guess the point I was making yeah, is yeah, that yeah. Um, what's you know that's a kind of bravery. Sure, the bravery I'm more. Um, interested in is the politically correct one like when you make films that are one violent two like not afraid to say things like nigger retard like uh, yeah (laughs) you are like necessarily like stoking a kind of fire that um is you know that some people in uh the film business are very sensitive to um completely yeah i you know I, i i think i respond to these movies um we talked about this with comedy uh, in the comedy episode that we did. Yeah. But I respond to these movies because they are like um, undeniably smart and serious and beautiful and compassionate, right? Like this is a very compassionate movie um, and we can get to that more. Mm-hmm. But the kind of – it, it exp- you know, it's like I don't think you can watch this movie. And like maybe you can, but I think if you're like someone who's interested, who follows cinema, you're not going to watch this movie not realizing that it's like an auteur, that there's like an authorial center to the film. And so you're constantly aware of the decisions at the playwriting level. Um, And so when you hear him, like the characters saying things like, you know, like, lady with a fucking funny eye or like you know like oh whatever you retard like but you know it's you know these are yeah. you know it's necessarily it you it's it's impossible not to realize that someone is that the, the author is trying it's impossible <laughs> that the author is not trying to say something about um the way that we use language um right right and i think that's important i think you know um what an effect of great writing is that it it makes us aware of all of the different effects of language um you know you don't it doesn't mean you have to be a great filmmaker if you do and that's why i like i'm very insistent on calling it playwriting especially because mcdonough's a playwriter like the pillow man's one of my favorite plays but screenwriting in my mind is you know you you're setting up something that's going to be easy to film but playwriting is something where like you paint like you're writing at such a level that people have to pay attention to the words that you're using. And it's impossible, you know, that that there's an effect that's happening on the level of text that is, you know, in a, it's, it's essentially different than it. it, It's, it's not as if like, there aren't any like lines of dialogue that happen by accident is basically. It's basically, yeah, but I guess I was going to say that like, you know, just by putting, you know, there's a, there's a sense in which like the cinematography, the direction can like elevate a, a, mm-hmm. a, a script that is not that doesn't like yeah. exists as a document alone. 
Um, totally, and then yeah. there's sometimes when you watch a movie like this where like I don't care how it was filmed, there is a level of like beauty that's in that's ext- you know that's distinct from the actual filmmaking process itself. Um, and that's what I okay. look for. And that's what I'm seeing. And I, I think when someone is making you laugh in these like inappropriate ways, but they're doing it in the context of a, um, a very deeply philosophical film and one that's challenging and one that doesn't like tie loose ends together in unnecessary ways or doesn't even bother to try because that's not how life works. Um, you're really brought into um, a, a world of thinking that otherwise isn't gonna happen if you're just like making a great movie off a mediocre or a a perfunctory script. Does that make sense? That's a little like, you know, cloudy, but um, you can tell this guy's a playwright, I think is, I guess my big point. Yeah, totally. Um, But what what do you want to talk about? I'm, I'm hogging the mic. No, no, no. Uh, I think we can, I mean, we should probably start on McDormand's performance since you, especially since you explicitly stated that that's something you wanted. I mean, we could, I just want to talk about the performances in general because right. like the, the performances make this movie that every single, I think you said McDormand, this movie couldn't happen without McDormand, but I think every single actor in this movie was critical. I can't imagine somebody playing like Sam Rockwell always managed to play the, uh, like anybody anybody anytime you need somebody that you like hate and then eventually need to get on the audience's side sam rockwell seems like the epitome of that specific kind of character um and woody harrelson like embodies the sort of uh like southern like quintessentially southern you know like justice loving cop i mean he he plays like uh maybe a little bit less of a sympathetic version of this role in like true detective for instance <laughs> that's that's good yeah it's like woody harrelson is like um if it's funny like he's great at being a cop and also being like you know a meth head like criminal yeah like he, yeah <laughs> he, what you employ woody harrelson because he's like you know uh, like a morally dubious character um but he also it, you know, he's like it, he hardly ever plays pathetic characters. He's always like it's some. No, 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 no. He's but, he's definitely like a, a, a what is a what is the, in the, in the trailer for the disaster artist. He's a real American yeah, hero, and also maybe a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. That's also true. Like he wanted him, like you know, Johnny be a vampire, or uh, yeah, he wanted Johnny to be a vampire. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah, into that. that we're later. gonna do. We're probably have to do a late night episode on the disaster artist because we really want to see that. But um, by the way, this this late night episode is being recorded at the, the very the indecent hour of seven. Nah, man, <laughs> it's so late, dude. Like <laughs> Jacob goes to work at like two in the morning, so this is basically fucking like you know last call at the bar this for is, Jacob. Yeah, this yeah. is three a.m. for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think you know Woody Harrelson's like an interesting topic. Um, I don't, you know, like we'll talk about McDormand last, yeah, just because I think we'll spend the most so, time like, there. Yeah, Woody Harrelson. Um, I like. I actually cried at his monologue this time that I saw it. Oh my god! All of the all of the, the notes, notes are, are great. Just, even the one that he writes to Sam Rockwell, which is just like you, you know he's mm. just like trying to make this kid feel better about his that shitty was pro- life. Yeah. The um. Well, that's just an interesting topic. I don't have like too many built-in thoughts about this, but um. That's also an effect I see of like the from his like experience as a playwriter is like. The, you like 
there are monologues in this movie where like McDormand like talks about like you know the Crips and the Bloods. Um, yeah, that's yeah. like really effective. When I saw it in Venice, like people were cheering. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. There were there's a, a lot, lot of mo- yeah. When I yeah. saw that in Venice, it's funny because when I saw it in Venice, very liberal crowd, um, people were cheering. Some people stood up and like did standing ovations at that part. This time it was like me and Jacob in like this conservative theater laughing and no one else really giggling. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's still like, I mean, it's interesting watching movies in theaters because like the audience can have effects on like how you view things. There was a lot of laughter during this movie. Not at that specific part, but there were definitely some, like, big laughs coming at it. Which is funny for a movie that has, like... This movie has such gravity at times, and then it 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 undercuts it. Hysterical, yeah. Okay, so, um, if we want to move to Sam Rockwell... Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to like um, combine, like talking about acting and talking about um, just like how uh, the the masterful way in which the the drama is undercut by comedy. There's a scene at the very end where Sam Rockwell's talking about like, you know, my mom said just keep trying, but she said it in the context of um, me sucking at English, and and you yeah. need to like <laughs> be good at English in order to be a cop, good at being a cop, or really anything. And, like, at that moment, I forgot that he was about to say another joke. But, like, yeah. I, I really saw that as beautiful. Again, I don't fully have a great idea of, like, what I... You know, when, like, when you can feel that there's, like, a message there, but you haven't totally sussed it out. Um, it, it, it was a way in which, like, the English in this movie is tortured. People speak incorrectly. They, like, miscommunicate yeah. constantly. There's a lot of, like, making fun oh, of, yeah. like, the dumb 19-year-old wife who can't, like, speak correctly or intelligence. Like, there's a lot of, like, in- tortured and... <laughs> Polo or... Yeah, Polo. Yeah, right. Like, she said baguettes. But um, there's a lot of, like, tortured intelligence. And, you know, obviously a playwright is, like, he's attuned to, like, the ways in which people use language and misuse language. And this movie is like, you know, justice is very related to law and law is only given to us by language. And there's all these, you know, just like if you're miscommunicating at the level of language, well, then it it only goes, you know, it's more exaggerated down to the line of law. And then it gets even (laughs) Letter of the language, spirit of the language. And so I, I found that, you know, it's like, how many, have you ever heard that line that like, if you want to be a good cop, you need to you know, be able to use English well. It's like, I've, I've never heard that sentiment. It comes at the end of the movie. It was like this beautiful moment that made you really think about the ways in which these characters are tortured because their inability to speak to each other. And then he's like, unless, you know, you want to go to you know, Mexico, Mexico and who wants that? <laughs> right. And then it's like, you know, it's like, an, it's like, why is he, why, why, what is the impulse to undercut that moment? I think, it's the same like it's the same thing as like in uh in casual conversation when you like maybe you want to talk about something serious but you're maybe a little too afraid to like speak it out in the it has I'm not saying that he's afraid he clearly is <laughs> but that's how people to talk, talk to each other issues but yeah, that's I get what exactly you're yeah. yeah it's like uh you have this serious moment and you like feel the need to like add levity even if it's destructive to but, the conversation uh, exactly and levity is a way that we connect with each other and so it was like almost like you totally, know like yeah. another insertion of like you know now we're communicating even if it's like inappropriate politically incorrect and i think that goes back to like you know the ethics of like you know political correctness that sometimes you know we because we're afraid of hurting someone we look over like the ways in which people really connect with each other over like inappropriate ways of speaking 
but you know that, yeah you know and that's we have to insert that into the ethical calculus in order to understand really the ethics of speaking themselves um but anyway that's just like that was that one point i think sam rockwell i was really surprised at reading my review how little time i spent talking about like there's only so much time like when i was of writing course, the yeah, re- i mean it was a pretty yeah brief review. when i was writing the reviews it was like i was doing one or two a day and like i am not a like yeah. i'm not a journalist i don't write every day and even if i did like i don't all my favorite critics are not like writing like two or three reviews a day like you really have to sit down look at your notes really consider the point you want to try and make and sometimes you know it you know some some aspect of the film is not going to be incorporated into the point you're trying to make i was trying to make a point about um violence and like cinematic violence in general that's really what i wanted to talk about in this review and sam rockwell doesn't you know his performance his like function in the film isn't exactly something that like i felt then like i could incorporate into the theme that i was trying to build but that's what makes this a great film and that's sort of what i was alluding to at the end is that his performance and his role um represent a different kind of thing that's happening in this movie like this movie is not just about like a mother whose daughter gets raped while dying and it's her you know search for justice it's about like at least like four different characters principally um yeah and like it's hard to like violence and justice are like it's easier to understand it through francis mcdormand's character and her quest sam rockwell's character his connection to justice is a different one and this is something i definitely saw on the the second watch is that yeah. I didn't really respect that his father died and that he had to live with his mother. On the first time, it was just, like, too much to take in. I didn't really care about that aspect. But on this time where it's, like, um, Woody Harrelson writes this letter to Sam Rockwell, and it's, like, you know, like, I know that you want to be a detective. I know that you want to be a good cop. But you have too much hate in your heart, and what you need is love because love gives you patience and love allows for thoughts. And, like, you you know, if you're just hating all the time, you're going to be acting automatically. You're not going to have time to, like, think about circumstances. You need love. Yep. Which the character demonstrates. But then what you realize is, like, Sam Rockwell loved his dad. And it was taken away from him. And so his, like, you know, and then, like, Woody Harrelson is taken away from him, too, which is, like, his surrogate father. Yeah. His, and, exactly. And um, you realize he's just, like... A lot of this, like, lashing out, it's, like, hilarious, like, <laughs> and it's it's completely, like, alternate reality that, like, you know, you could throw some guy outside of a window and, like, have him fall two stories and, like, you wouldn't be, like, on trial. You would just be, you know, like, fired from the police squad, which, of course, is, like, a political comment on, you know, the impossibility to prosecute police officers, but um, you... It, it, I was a lot more drawn to his story once I realized that, like, the death of his father, which is an off comment in a long monologue. Yeah, yeah. But you realize, like, you know, the this character, I, he he represents also like an important theme in the movie is like the idea of justice as being a sort of uh, like perversive, like um, 
revenge as justice. He's always he. There's like explicit lines in the movie that his mother says that like are um, indicative of the sort of institutionalized racism that he was brought up. Yeah, in, where like you know torturing black people is like justice because because reasons. yeah because he said yeah you know, like, like <laughs> we said earlier he's like you know the south has changed but like his mom's like well damn it shouldn't have and you realize exactly, like, he yeah. loves his mother and there's i also th- yeah it's like a it's a there's a way you know like we have to the 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 fundamental like um tension of the movie between like lawful justice and vigilantism is not possible without his character existing at least it it's underlined in a way that's very specific because he's like he's dumb he's not a smart yeah guy. he's not like his ideas about justice are not rooted in intelligence or like an understanding of ethics it's a feeling of justice which I, we'll get into that a little bit later i'm sure because it's a lot yeah, of the like feeling of justice we talked about it at length in the anger yeah. episode um but he's so intently focused on the feeling of when woody harrelson's character dies he you know, beats the shit out of a, uh, the guy who, the advertiser who just took the money and put up the billboards for Francis McDormand's character and then throws him out of a window because that's what his, his anger is, it needs an outlet. It needs, his idea of justice why is do you just think, why do you inflicting think he hated pain that guy so on, much? Um, I, he felt like probably he could have just said no or... I mean, like yeah, his, uh, I, I think that's smart. Yeah, that's it. it that's enough. It's, like a, it's an if idea you of like the fact that like Woody Harrelson's a surrogate father, and then you see someone allowing yeah. this father to be like shamed, like in a public way. Like it's really easy to start. Which everybody is aware. Everybody, even Francis McDormand's character, is aware that like the act of shaming him is unjust. Yeah, that's it's that's never what, really it's important. Her, like her motivations yeah. for like. Um, exploiting him specifically are like dubious it's never really like uh it's not like she really it doesn't seem like she has a firm idea of why she's doing it either it's just he's the guy at the top the buck's got to stop somewhere is like how she explains it in the in the film and then it's never well okay so again. this is something that i thought I, I i caught on the rewatch that i want to like maybe like you know find a point between us but yeah yeah, yeah. um it became really obvious to me that like the bill like this movie is called Three Billboards, right? Um, the billboards are the most like potent symbol, and yet I didn't even touch on it in my original review. Oh and, yeah, they feel like pretty unimportant. But ultimately. I think they are. I think what's happening is like the the movie he wanted to make was some sort of microcosm analogy between the media and um, uh, the like the criminal justice system in general, right? Like, this is really obvious to me before I saw the movie, when I just saw the trailer, I was reading about the movie, where it was like, okay, like, his synopsis of the movie was like, or the synopsis given was a woman whose, you know, daughter died, like, thinks that, you know, the police department isn't spending enough time focusing on a murder and specifically focusing on torturing black people. And I thought it was going to be like super, super racial in that regard. Like I thought it was like the you know that torturing of black people was going to be. Yeah, I mean it's certainly touched on, but it's touched on. Like it's not, it's not a sense. It's not like the black. You know, there's like one black girl who gets arrested, and then like the black guy like gets harassed. But that's it. It, And that they're minor characters and they're minor scenes. Um, So I think when I watched the movie, I like forgot the like that 
part of it the the part where like the justice system and like the you know the oppressed that relationship like was removed after i watched the movie where i i was coming mm-hmm. with expectations it was going to be about that but i think what it was is like the media is on you know media is generally like always looking at like oppressed people um, yeah and so really what it was it wasn't like a movie about like racial like oppression in the justice system it was more about like the media versus the justice system and the meat like billboards are media and they're like the most like democratic or like the most like accessible forms of like mass media in a way and they're also like intimately tied with capitalism which is something that i also wanted to touch on they are i think that's you're right though like not that i want to interrupt like i don't mean to interrupt you sorry but like yes billboard just to explain that like billboards are like generally you they're like a they're like a really like small time way to like usually like uh you know advertise your business right and they're like kind of antiquated i think that's part of it too but they are they're supremely capitalistic this this movie wouldn't have it wouldn't have felt like uh they i guess it the billboards because it's a still image it it's there's a power to uh, still smart. images that are are brought to the forefront in a way where if this movie was about a TV advertisement, it wouldn't have the same potency. Yeah, I, I love that and point. It's, it's also, it also like, like you know, it makes you realize you're watching a movie because you're watching moving images. Yeah, and this image is like moving people to they're moving in the sense that they're motivating people to act in these really profound ways. It's like it's like amazing that a billboard could like enact a drama, but it's a still right. image that's. You know, yeah, I like. I think that's brilliant. It's not even, and and the billboards aren't even placed there. It's like explicitly mentioned multiple times that the only people that would ever see these billboards, and I'm quoting directly, are uh, if you're lost or fucking yes. retarded. Yeah. Oh my god, what a great, <laughs> what a great observation. I love that. So they're not even like. Uh, it's not even something that any of the townspeople have to confront, but because there are these like super potent images, all it takes is one. It, the media brings it to the townspeople's attention in a way where. Like the, I guess it, it might also be a criticism of media as being like inflammatory in a way because, really, the movie probably wouldn't like the, the the whole motivation, the driving force of the movie is these billboards. But if the if there hadn't been you know some news station covering the story, it's unlikely most of the townspeople would ever have heard about it besides word of mouth. Um. And the other the other well, thing that it's I also to it's like as, inflammatory, but also like um. So, I read this book. Okay, Wait, yeah, real, go ahead. Real quick go before ahead. you make this point, the the ultimate point that I wanted to make is there's a um, there's a whole scene that takes place in this bar, and this is back to billboards being tied as a directly as like a sort of monument to capitalism, or at least like an icon of capitalism in a, in America especially. Um, there's a scene in, that takes place in this bar when there's the, the the three characters playing pool. It's um, Peter Dinklage's character, the advertiser. Who, I don't know that actor's name, but he's phenomenal. I don't he was know. Great yeah, I don't know who too. he is, but he was hilarious. <laughs> Where um, Sam Rockwell's character uh, like accuses the the advertiser's name is Red, and he accuses of being a communist. <laughs> so I think in a, in, a, in a very like in a in a very subtle way too, this movie is like uh, it it brings to light certain um, not like class distinctions, but like distinctions between people who have like uh, different views of how they want the economy to operate where sam rockwell's idea of like the the quintessentially southern idea of capitalism is and this is why i think sam rockwell feels so 
uh, strongly that like the billboard, like why he hates red so much is that the billboards represent uh, this complete subversion of the idea of Southern Fuck capitalism. You, dude. This is good. Capitalism yeah. <laughs> is like, like it's, it's a result of this confluence of factors where you can, you know, capitalism should be ethical. Capitalism should be about business owners making choices that they feel are right. And instead what red's character represents is what capitalism actually represents, which is I will take money for <laughs> services rendered. And I don't really care as long as it's within the con confines of the law, I don't care what's being represented. I just, as long, as long as I'm receiving payment for services rendered i will put anything up as long as it's within the confines of the law and sam rockwell's character hates this red character i think explicitly for the reason that he he feels that that shouldn't be how like capitalism works it's an, it's not something that's ever explicitly like discussed but there's no that the communism scene doesn't exist in a vacuum but there's no nah, man that was that was essential not, i like i didn't like I, that uh that line when he was like, you're a communist or like, I didn't like register that the first time the way I did the second time. It feels so throwaway, yeah. but like nothing in this movie is a throwaway line. No, exactly. so. no I love it. I love it. Um, uh, yeah. Oh God damn. What was the point I was going to make before the fuck? I can't remember. Uh, okay. So we were talking about, um, we were talking specifically about the billboards. I guess, um, uh, uh boners like, Hmm. <laughs> i don't remember dude whatever we talk about something different <laughs> uh, i guess we can move on to we we got like super off track with we were talking about the perform the individual performances we can talk about Francis yeah i think yeah i think uh you know sh mm, yeah what you said really with the um that kind of blew my mind a little bit i think it kind of i didn't i didn't register like the class well i guess what it was it was I'm like the platitudes of like like right. people like throwing they call you red because you're fucking yeah it's like like it's it's so like casual but like it represents a an understanding of of capitalism and communism as like a inherently oppositional which of course they are but b like if your understanding of capitalism isn't the same as mine you're a fucking right commie. i think yeah what it's an ideological it's, it's, yeah i think it's like insurmountable I yeah i think sorry i was a little like taken aback because like the power of like the uh like ideological platitudes being thrown at each other like i didn't like really register it as a major theme in the movie but you just brought it in a way that it did and i'm like oh fuck now i'm rethinking the whole movie and i can't even speak correctly <laughs> so that's why <laughs> i was a little like uh stunned there but that that means you did a you know you, you you uh, contributed something amazing at least i think so but anyway yeah so francis mcdormand um there's a line that i didn't put like i wanted to put in so okay there's this line in the review i wrote that was like mcdormand's performance um the feminism she brings about here is callous willy and offensively modern a line i didn't feel comfortable putting in there but like fuck it I do now. There's a line where she's like, my, you know, like, I bet my fat ass that you did. And, like, the idea that, like, she is, like, aware of her fat ass, which is, like, like the, the mechanic suit that <laughs> they've, like, dressed her in, that they donned her in in this movie. At yeah, it, times, like, accentuates yeah. and, like, exaggerates her ass in a way. Like, the fact that she was, like, willing to, like, 
say that line and like wear that outfit and like put like to me that's a kind of like um that's a kind of like really amazing feminism i know it sounds but it's she, like yeah it's, you know it's like you it's hard to like like sometimes i get kind of in like i really am interested in feminism and like um i i think it's really important that we like have like roles like you know, Frances McDormand is given. She's like sixty years old. Like these older performances, these desexualized performances. I just watched White Material with Isabel Hubbard. Like that was one of the most amazing female performances I've ever seen. Do you do you think that her performance was decent? I feel like her character was actually like explicitly sexualized in a very non traditional. No, way I think it was movie. desexualized. Like, I don't. I don't see that at all. Like the fact that like you have like the only person who's like she has a divorced. She's like completely desexual. The only person who's interested in her and is this like guy that like you know this you know like um what's this Peter Dinklage who who's Peter like Dinklage, specifically yeah. like like rejects sexuality because he rejects his own sexuality being like I know that I like I'm a dwarf and like I'm an alcoholic which is like they're, they're both indicators uh, of I don't desexualization. Know if that's, he doesn't like reject his own he doesn't reject his own sexuality like he explicitly doesn't though. There's a scene in the movie where he, like, kind of rescues her from a situation where she, like, likely would have just gone to jail for the rest of her life because uh, she burned down a police station. And uh, he asks her out on a date, and she says, yeah, I'll go on a date with you, but I'm not going to fuck you. And he says, well, I wasn't going to fuck you either. I guess. No, now, that's, a, guess. that's a good yeah. point, but I'm not even sure that's, like, a... Uh... Well, yeah, I got, it's a good. I, it it's might, a good. It might, it might also. It's a good counterpoint. It might also but I think just the be fact like, that uh, he like um, degrades himself, like generally through the movie. Like he's like his um, his almost his role in this movie is to be like the only person who would be sexually interested in Mildred Hayes is someone who's like outcast for his physical appearance. You know, and so and that I guess that, so, yeah. you know, like it maybe that's a stretch, but I do. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you at all. But like, I think uh, well, he's, he obviously sexualizes like, drawn to her yeah, sex. Yeah, in, I, exactly. No, yeah, yeah, I think there's, but like, obviously the also, fact we like, have to. I, I'll go ahead and say it. I found I also just found her super sexy, and I found Frances McDormand like unbelievably really. Well, sexy I think she's unbelievable. Like yeah. um, her talent. So my, I'm always attracted <laughs> to talent. I guess. Uh, yeah, but she's also like as an actress, one of my favorite actresses. And I'm, I'm, I said this like in my, but I don't feel this way about like Meryl Streep. No, but either, I also you know? don't like Meryl <laughs> Streep the way I like Frances McDormand in terms of her. Like I think Meryl Streep is uh, completely overrated. She's like so wooden, and like she's like an important mm -hmm. fixture in contemporary cinema from like the kind of feminism that she generally represents. Yeah, and Meryl Streep like, went to like bat great. for Harvey Weinstein in a way that's like almost inexcusable yeah. <laughs> considering like her posture like her stature it was like yeah but that's another subject i think francis Mc, like literally just on the yeah we talk about butt touch yeah gate we're gonna talk probably we're gonna talk about butt touch gate sorry that's a hard <laughs> that's a, difficult to say anyway francis McDormand, like i think with um like i like meryl streep i don't have a problem with her but i i, I uh sure I, I see francis mcdormand what i was gonna say about that fat ass comment is that it's not only that she's desexualizing herself when she says that but it's also that she's being crass and she's you know mm -hmm. it's like um i wrote a movie it's never gonna get made or anything but like my idea was like to make a you know it's like okay yes they're not enough like strong older female roles but we need to make roles that are you know that doesn't mean that like what it means to be 
uh, like a feminist is not that you make roles that make women look great. You make roles that like are powerful that women can inhabit. Um, and those are different. And I think this is a movie where it's like, she is not like a role model. She's not someone who like, you know, like, um, it's not how like we want women to act in society, but we want the, the movies we watch are not about, you know, the movies that we're like inclined to watch and that we need to watch and that we need to uh, like, you know, see are not a, about people who are like perfect role models. They're about like real life people who are conflicted and they tell us something about human nature. And um, sometimes that's gonna like come off as this crass, irrational, like devastating person. Um, that's what this role is. And it, you know, like if you're obsessed with like making a kind of like fairy tale, like pristine, presentation of like some political point you want to make like you are like doing a disservice um to art and to you know politics and i think yeah, totally. uh her perform like the fact that she is like at, at at point like like okay so there's a scene where it shows like the day that the the daughter gets raped and like you just see the mama acting in really crass and inappropriate ways um and then you see her like and then you see after the scene happens and like she's like in deep regret that's life that's like the things that we say to each other like are you know like generally okay because they're not like bookend by like tragedies you know and mm -hmm. then this particular instance was you always get a chance to um reconcile i guess you don't always but generally but you know generally in, in, in life in life generally, in life most people don't get murdered right and so. so this was a scene where like she is like she is so another thing that i realized on this rewatch is that she is so deeply deeply in guilt she like and mm -hmm. you cannot reach those emotional levels if you are trying to depict a character who is um like how has who's ethically pristine right like yeah of course and not, so yeah. like it's it's so there's like nothing ethical about there's her nothing ethical about her behavior at all at all but what what it is it's humanistic and what it is is fucking sublime mm -hmm. and um i like you need a kind of like I, I guess like i just i see the political incorrectness of this film and i see the fucking like sublimity and like like engaging with the ways in which we are not perfect people because it, it brings like if we can engage with that in a cinematic level we can like really like like dig up the deepest parts of like you know our human imperfections and like just the way what we have to uh, god it's like i, I it's, it's hard for me to put the words sometimes when i like i think about how difficult it is to be in her position and like to really like confront her age and her like you know i know that you found her sexy but her desexualization in a way and like the you know she's like a mother that is like a single mother that to me is always going to be mm -hmm. very powerful um it's and just the way she act the way that she gives away her emotions there's like you know it's like she'll just like um do you remember like okay so like when the 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 billboards burn down and like yeah. she's like trying to make it all happen her son's involved so she's not trying to like be too emotional and then he won't give her the fire extinguisher because it's like a futile action and he's like being like mom this last yeah. billboard's gonna burn down and she goes like give it to me like she like 
it's like she just screams his yeah, name, yeah. And she's just it's just so deep and it's like it's a I th- it's, it's raw. raw. I think the effect in the movies if you're not like looking in like a very um compassionate and like a really per- like a performative way, you're going to see it as a little cringy. It comes a little out of center, but for me it's like she just gives it away there. Like that's like that's the yeah. best she can do and it's fucking powerful and it's like unbelievably moving because like when she goes and she walks towards the next billboard she realizes what she can't she does this really just like you know like in the motion like kneels on the ground it's not very convincing but the fact it's unconvincing after this like you know this like barbaric scream that she does to her son is like that like juxtaposition accentuates something that I don't really see generally in performances which are so tight and um calculated it's like she's like you know like like she know like once you see her kneel in this really just like functional perfunctory way you know that she's already sort of nodding to like the rawness of that earlier outburst and that makes it more emotive that makes that like it it really fucking brings you into like that cringiness you felt was just like because it was too real and I think yeah. this movie does that in certain ways, and she is just a master at this. Like she, oh my god! Like every movie I see her in, she does these like really like unusual and really emotive ticks and like just like decisions. Like as an actor, you have to like make decisions where you're like playing by the rules, and when you aren't playing by the rules, and to see her just like defy the rules in these ways that like it are very like unique and novel is like a fucking like that's i had to see the movie again just to like see the decisions she makes it's you know it's like I'm, i don't think i'll ever really understand i'm it, w- it would take a book i think to really ex- explicate the ways in which she's like constantly acting against um you know the guidelines of indication when it comes to acting like the way she moves her eyebrows or the way that you know she'll like read a line that wasn't supposed to be read in a certain way like it's it's so obvious to me like um from the acting experience i have where like she's just like fucking rewriting the rules at every level yeah Uh, sam rockwell does this too i think sam but he does it in a more comedic way that like he does it in a comedic way and he's like more um overtly like physical about i think francis mcdormand has a subtlety that you yeah, know, she's gotten from being in the industry for God. Well, knows Sam Rockwell's been in the industry too. I mean, you can like you know like Charlie Kaplan was not or Chaplin. <laughs> <Charlie>. Chaplin. <laughs> oh God. But yeah, like you know, I just um, I read this like old review of him that was like talking about when he went like in his movement to like speaking rules, he completely lost the the clownish aspects that mm-hmm. really defined his work. Um, yeah and sam rockwell does like sam rockwell the only way i can think to describe it is like comedy parkour where he's just like perfectly executing these like physical actions that are obviously deliberate because they're in a movie on screen but they look so careless and accidental like the scene where he's getting up from his chair i don't know how the fuck you pull like the the when the chair just like pops up and like down and yeah like, like and it just lets it happen like it's just like allowing so, and then when he like so throws funny the and bean perfect, up to like, like eat it and it like misses his face yeah and, like the most ridiculous like, moment it's ever. the most calculated stupidity like you can i just can't i don't know of another actor a that that works like that 
but it's also no, he's like, like he's like a clown i would not be yeah. sur- like i have like a lot of actor friends and they all take clown classes i would not be surprised if he did too if because he, he has like yeah totally yeah because john like, c Riley has the same quality and he would oh went my to god clown well, yeah duh, totally yeah. <laughs> that guy is the like quintessential clown maybe zach alfanakis yeah. is too but there's what's cool about sam rockwell is he like he wants to like um like expressly introduce a intellectualism um mm-hmm. into his like clownish aspects um and he's, that's why he's he gets definitely he constantly, the yeah. smartest dumb characters possible. Yeah, exactly. He's like the Mark Maron of like clown acting or something. You know, <laughs> where like, yeah, there's like this neurosis, but it's like unregistered, like as like, you know, like at, like linguistic eloquence and instead like registered as like ridiculous physical comedy, but in a way. Yeah, it's not you like, like almost can't ascribe authorial intent to his character, but like him as an actor is everything is just so like beautiful and deliberate and like careful yeah so that's like i think uh you know this movie is good enough where it is like i've read a review we talked about for an hour i don't think it's we've even gotten to its core no i feel like i need to like watch it at home a couple more times like i I know it's like (laughs) it's not exactly the most like it's not like uh this isn't a movie that has like one essence i guess it's not like uh the singular theme, like maybe on its face, is is violent. It was at this point in time that Jacob and Johnny realized they'd stop talking which, about and three you covered it about review, fifteen so minutes ago. Okay we decided to edit this here. and cut it into another podcast.